we're talking about the physiological way that we hold trauma. So it's, it's embedded in us. Then I have an emotional response to it. Then I have a thought to it. And then I speak. And all that happens in less than two seconds. So you know how careful I, and how good I have to be in my own leadership journey <laughs> to know what is going on for me emotionally, physiologically, in the moment, moderate that, and then respond. Hello, and welcome to Student Affairs Now. I'm your host, Keith Edwards. Today, we're talking about apologies. We all mess up. How we take responsibility, apologize, and try and do better is one of the key things that separates leaders and humans. I'm joined today by folks who have thought about and practiced this in many ways, and I'm so excited to learn from each of you. Student Affairs Now is the premier podcast and online learning community for thousands of us who work in, alongside, or adjacent to the field of higher education and student affairs. We release new episodes every week on Wednesdays. Find details about this episode or browse our archives at studentaffairsnow.com. This episode is sponsored by Leadership. Go to leadership.org to learn how they can work with you to create a just, caring, and thriving world. Today's episode is also sponsored by Simplicity, a true partner. Simplicity supports all aspects of student life with technology platforms that empower institutions to make data-driven decisions. As I mentioned, I'm your host, Keith Edwards. My pronouns are he, him, his. And I'm a speaker, consultant, and coach. You can find out more about me at keithedwards.com. And I'm broadcasting from Minneapolis, Minnesota at the intersections of the ancestral homelands of the Dakota and the Ojibwe peoples. Let's get to our conversation. I'm so grateful to have each of you with us today. Uh, we're going to begin with some introductions. And I think, with Jonathan, you're going to go ahead and kick us off. Uh, hi, this is Jonathan Poulard. I am the president of the Equity Consulting Group Incorporated, uh, which I've been the president of since uh, 2016. Prior to that, I worked in higher education for 27 years, with my last role being at UC Berkeley as the Associate Vice Chancellor and Dean of Students. Glad to have you here, Jonathan. We're excited to learn from you. Uh, Carrie, tell us a little bit about you. Thanks, Keith. I'm Carrie Landrum. I am a professional space holder and facilitator and conflict resolution professional at the University of Michigan. I've been facilitating restorative practices there for about 12 years and more recently have been doing that for cases of sexual and gender-based misconduct. And I'm speaking to you from Anishinaabeg land, particularly the Council of the Three Fires, Ojibwe, Odawa, and Potawatomi. All right, thanks for being here, Carrie. And Craig, tell us a little bit about, uh, tell us a little bit about you. Excellent. Uh, good to see you all. Uh, my name is Craig Elliott, pronouns he, him, and his. Um, coming to you from Butte, Montana, uh, home of the Shoshone, Bannock, and Salish, and uh, currently serving as uh, Vice Chancellor for Student Affairs uh, at Montana Technological University, and I'm also a parent of some elder teenagers, so a lot of my stories about apologies will come from that space. Yes, um, it sounded well. like it was hard hard to say that. Elder, teenager. Yeah, Get right. It, yeah. Tw 20 and 17, I, and I don't know how any of that happened. <laughs> Time doesn't lie, but yes, yeah. I, I have late teens, so. Excellent, yes. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad you're bringing this up. I think a lot of what I have learned about apologies is what I have overheard myself teaching very young children, and then hearing myself and going, that was good. What if we all did that? What if I did that? That would be so great. So uh, practicing what we preach, I think, uh, would, would be great. Um, thanks to each of you for being here. Carrie, as you mentioned, you've done lots and lots of work uh, in restorative justice, 
where responsibility and healing harm and restoring wholeness is really a center part of that process. Um, I'd love for you to start us off telling us a little bit about what we can learn about the role of apologies and how to do good ones. Can you kick us off here? Yeah, thanks for framing it that way. The role of apology is really important. I think a lot of people slice and dice their language where it's a PR move, right? What is the intention of an apology? An apology ought to be reparative. It should have the intention of repairing harm, not just to make a statement or make some PR situation go away. In my opinion, there's three basic uh, key points of an apology. One is basic acknowledgement, right? So can you acknowledge what happened, your role in it? Can you acknowledge the harm you you caused? Is there a clear indication that you know what the transgression or the harm was? So like if you're just saying, oh, I'm sorry, but you don't actually know what you're apologizing for, that's not helpful in actually repairing harm because you can really cause harm again. So there has to be some kind of acknowledgement with the demonstration of understanding. You understand what the action was that you did that caused harm. You understand the impact of what the harm caused on the other person. And then there's another piece around acknowledgement. Some people want to go into um, like justifying what they did or giving more context or explaining it. That's usually not helpful. What it can be helpful to some people, I encourage folks sometimes to ask if you would like to know more information about why I said what I said or what I was thinking about at the time, let me know, I'd be glad to tell you. And that you know, sort of motivational interviewing style gives the other person permission to say, yeah, I would like to know more or like, no, thanks, I'm good. Because we know if we say like, oh, I didn't mean it that way, or that was just a joke, you know, we're trying to explain it, we're justifying it, that is not helpful in apology. It's not helpful in repairing. Mm -hmm. So the other two points after acknowledgement that I think are key in an apology are, again, the intention of it being reparative, of making amends. If you're not saying it with that intention, if you're not delivering it with the energy of making amends, being reparative, then it's just going to fall flat. People are like, oh, I'm sorry you felt that way. Or, um, you know, I'm mm -hmm. sorry we don't do that here. You know, like we can mm -hmm. say I'm sorry with all sorts of nasty ways. And those don't mm -hmm. have intentions of being reparative. So people can smell right through like an insincere apology. I've tried to like transmit apologies between mm -hmm. students. And every time I do, even if I feel it was sincere, they're like, nope, that wasn't sincere. That's not sincere. They didn't mean that. So it has to carry that sincerity. And then the third piece that would make a good apology is assurance that it won't happen again. And this just can't be say, oh, I promise I won't do it again, right? That's a statement. It's not an assurance. So how can we assure the other person that we've learned from it, that we're going to do things differently? So sharing our learning, sharing our journey, sharing what we what we know now that we didn't know then, you know, what we'll do differently, what we don't do again, what we won't do again. These three pieces, I think, are key. The acknowledgement, mm -hmm. it being reparative, you know, the energy and intention of repairing harm, repairing the relationship. And then how do we prevent it from happening again? Kind of like the Title IX things, like stop the behavior from happening, remedy its effects and prevent its reoccurrence. It's kind of like right. similar to those three things. Oh, say that again. Say that again. I know that's boilerplate for you, but say that again. <laughs> stop the behavior from happening, prevent its reoccurrence. And what I think is also very important, remedy its effects. How do we yeah. remedy? How do we make amends? How do we repair? Restorative justice is about restoring the relationship. Right. Right. How do we repair and restore? Well, I'm thinking of an example based on what you're sharing of and I'll use a childish example because I think it's helpful, um, right? The milk spills, right? An acknowledgement would be, I spilled the milk, right? And th this is what happened and I did it. And that's not like the milk magically spilled somehow, right? The milk was spilled. <laughs> right. <laughs> I spilled the milk, right? That's the acknowledgement. And then um, 
what you're not going to do, I'm not going to do that again. And then maybe what you're going to, what you will do to not do that again. Uh, I will use two hands, right, to carry the milk the next time, right? So I'm not going to do it. And here's the learning about what I am going to do uh, and going through that. Um, I, I love what you said at the very beginning about the transgression and the harm. And sometimes those are together. And sometimes there's not. Some, what, what happens if there's harm, but maybe not a transgression, right? Maybe the person didn't do something wrong um, or something, they, but, but it still harms someone. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. That's where like intention and impact, um, you know, become important. So we may not have done anything wrong per se from our perspective or for an objective perspective, mm -hmm. but harm was caused. So I'll give an example. Just the other day, a student wanted to meet with me and they emailed right around five o'clock on a Friday. I didn't see that until Monday mm -hmm. and I had meetings all Monday morning and the student uh, had emailed requesting time to meet at 11 a.m. on Monday. Well, uh, just before 11 a.m., the student said, hey, are we still meeting? I didn't get a Zoom link. And they were, mm -hmm. you know, frazzled. And they said, I'm confused. So they shared an emotion. So it seemed like mm -hmm. there was impact in me not acknowledging their email and that they didn't know whether we were meeting. I thought, well, gosh, I don't check my email on the weekends. And I didn't acknowledge your request for 11 a.m. Mm -hmm. I didn't affirm that we were meeting there. So I didn't feel like I had done anything wrong. But you betcha I led with an apology. I'm so sorry for the confusion. Actually, I think I said, I'm sorry for the misunderstanding. I didn't click, like really believe that I contributed to the misunderstanding, but right, I still right. recognized there was impact. She was waiting right before 11. She was confused. Are we meeting or mm -hmm. not? And she had already had some negative things happen to her that she was seeking assistance uh, with. So I thought, oh, let me just, you know, try to assuage these feelings, take responsibility where I can. I'm sorry for the confusion. You know, sorry about that. Explain. I don't check my email on the weekends. And then when we went on. Mm -hmm. And what did it cost you to make that apology? nothing just a few minutes to think through <laughs> like literally nothing and i didn't do anything i was like why would she ever assume we're meeting right. at a and right. i never confirmed yeah. i think it's it is such a wonderful example because what led to the harm was something that i think actually many more student affairs professionals should do which is not check their email on the weekends and you know have some boundaries and, right. yeah. and, and it's really great i recommend that to everybody yes. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's a great example of not only did you not do anything wrong, not from a place of defensiveness, but this is something that we actually want to encourage right. more people to practice. And the student was harmed and upset. And I love that you're noting that there was some other cumulative impact coming right. in that was on top of that. And mm -hmm. rather than do, do, should I, does the student deserve, am I, do I have to? It was just this cost me nothing, can repair and, and, and maybe undo some of the harm, but at least if nothing else, it's gonna make the, the rest of the interaction with the student right. much, much better. Right. Well, the and, and relationship. Go no, ahead. sorry, I was just gonna say, you know, I think sometimes it's, um, it's, you know, both things being true. And I think yeah. it's easy for us to get stuck in our ego, have our egos get in the way, and we frame everything in terms of our own experience. So I didn't do anything, so why, why are you gonna, mm. or that wouldn't bother me. Um, and rather opening ourselves up to like, yeah, I, I did a good thing. I didn't check my email on the weekend and, and somebody was upset about it. Um, mm -hmm. And so for us to be able to say, to approach these interactions and apologies to say, it's not about me admitting guilt, mm -hmm. but it's about me caring for another human being and saying, yeah, I'm hearing that it, it hurt or upset. And, and I think, you know, this is a, a, a low, low level kind of 
you know, I think later we'll talk about bigger stuff. You know, I think about, you know, my relationship with, with my spouse, you know, I've been married 25 years, uh, you know, I'm always bumping into stuff and, you know, almost 20 years with kids. Um, how many times I've said, uh, you know, I'm sorry for, you know, doing something and doing my best in the moment yeah. and then realizing, oh, that didn't, that wasn't either the way I wanted to do it or that didn't go well, or, or I see that that had an impact that I didn't intend. Um, and so it's really kind of letting my ego get out of the way or doing my own work to get the ego out of the way so that I can hold that somebody was harmed by it, hurt or upset, or it had an impact. And, and me going to the part, starting from the places, I don't want to, I don't want to exist and cause harm to other people. Mm -hmm. I don't want to do things. And what I'm also holding though, quite honestly, is with the way that Carrie framed the three levels of apology there's an opportunity to revisit this because one of the things that I'm still holding is that there was nothing to apologize for. So if I have an expectation that someone is going to meet with me at 11 a.m., but I've made no commitment to do so, I also bear ownership for that interaction. So at some point, we're going to have to want to talk about what that was that made you think Carrie was going to do something that Carrie didn't even talk about mm -hmm. and hadn't even read Mm -hmm. Right. Now I can still acknowledge, wow, I'm sorry that you were confused. If you're willing to hear from me what that was about, then let's talk about this next piece. Because mm -hmm. what I'm what I'm missing in this particular example is ownership on the side of that student mm -hmm. yeah. or their behavior and what they assumed that got them to a harm. Mm -hmm. Right. So I want to decouple <laughs> what is harm and intent from what is also my own lived experience and responsibility mm -hmm. in my communication with other people. Yeah. Right. So yeah. that's a nuance for me that I don't want us to like miss out yeah. in terms, yeah. especially that's from good. a student development perspective. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I want to folks, right? Yeah. yeah. And I want to nuance the nuance because I love that you're pointing out like there was an expectation. Right. right? That, that maybe wasn't fair. And then I think where we could respond to that is then have an expectation. Well, I will apologize for the confusion and then expect a student to apologize for their unfair expectation right. of me. And now, now we're, we're not really apologizing. We're just, well, I apologize. Right. So now it's your turn. And, right. and these expectations are seeds of resentment, right? Mm -hmm. All along yep. the way. Mm -hmm. And for me, I wasn't even holding that this that I would expect the student right. to to right. apologize as much as I would back to Carrie's original kind of context. If you're willing to hear from me, right. then let's talk about that a little bit further mm -hmm. in yeah. terms of how we got to this confusion place, because mm -hmm. the confusion place was a dual shared confusion. Right. Right. <laughs> Whether you right. take ownership for that or not. Right. But I want yeah. that to be a part of how we continue to move forward, because let's yeah. say that two weeks from now, there's going to be another meeting. What are our expectations for one another? Yeah. Right. Yeah. right? Well, what, what, so I mm -hmm. go ahead, Carrie. I'm sorry. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, go ahead. I was saying I'm just saying this about building relationship. I really love what you're bringing in about yeah. taking responsibility and how do we take our own responsibility, encourage others to take responsibility. And how do we be in relationship? And if this is one moment of our relationship, where do we go from here? Yeah. Like I was saying, it's about care, right? It's all yeah. relationships. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we have really mined this example 
for all it's worth. Yeah, right. So Jonathan, <laughs> let's add some more here. You've been, as you mentioned, uh, Dean students at Berkeley, uh, senior student affairs officer. You have mentored and coached many senior level leaders within higher education and beyond higher education. Um, what have you learned from your own apologies and, and other people's apologies um, that might uh, serve our listeners? Yeah, I think that one of the things I love about apologies, and I'm I'm right, I'm I'm a Brene Brown fanatic, and one of the things I love about Brene Brown and her braving model, when she talks about if you're not familiar with it, the boundaries, reliability, accountability, the vault, integrity, non-judgment, generosity. When she talks about accountability, it's that I get to make amends. I get to make a mistake, and I get to make amends for them. And on the other side, you get to make a mistake and I allow for there to be amends made. Mm -hmm. Without that accountability, there's not the trust. And I think from a leadership lens and as a former leadership person, I can give one of the best examples. It was right when I began my role at UC Berkeley. Um, um, the area that I inherited, there really wasn't a dean previously. I was kind of mm -hmm. the first dean to come in and let's, let's talk about what deans do. Um, no offense to the former person, but it was just a structure of how Berkeley operated. And my vice chancellor at the time basically told me, Jonathan, this area is kind of a mess. I need you to fix it. And I don't care what you do, go make it happen. That, that sounds like a setup. Me. That's the worst <laughs> thing you can tell someone like me who is a taskmaster yeah, right, yeah. and who is a pace setter and wants things done yesterday. So one of the things that I always talk about that I made a huge mistake on and I had to apologize for was not moving the organization. I thought the decisions that I made were the right decisions. The speed at which I made the decisions were inappropriate. Because what I ended up doing was calling people's babies ugly. You don't call people's children ugly. <laughs> you don't do that. So I'm basically throwing stones. I'm, this doesn't work. This is broken. We got to fix this. Never really recognizing that people had been invested in this work for a very long time and were doing the best they could do mm -hmm. with the resources that they had at the time. Mm -hmm. And they did not have the level of advocacy to make the types of changes that I was even talking about, right? So the lesson there was I needed to apologize authentically for one, moving quickly, two, the impact that that had. Now, for those of the folks in the, my area who were ready for that change, they were loving me. I was the best thing since sliced bread. That was half of the team. The other half of the team felt like, who does he think he is? And here's what I learned about the apology. Even when you make them, I always say make them without the expectation of right. them being accepted. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Yeah. So I genuinely made it, and I was able to then recultivate about 30% of that 50 that I had offended. Mm -hmm. The other 20% never came back. Yeah. They were gone. They had, they had, they were, they were like, I don't trust this person. I don't like him. He thinks he's all that. Mm -hmm. How dare he? Luckily for me, I had enough of the area to continue forward movement, but it was still painful to know that there were those who were never going to get back on board mm -hmm. because of the manner of how it had happened, whether I had apologized for it or not. Right? Yeah. This is a great example because, and, and I, you were bringing in responsibility the other time. Um, and I'm just thinking about this sort of as, as an equation, right? Um, mm -hmm. How do I own 100% responsibility? for my half of the equation. 
Exactly. Yeah. And then precisely the other person may or may not own their half. They may not accept it, but what happens on the other side of that equation, mm -hmm. that's right. for that person. But I'm going to take full responsibility for what I've done, how I've done it, the harm I've caused. Right. right. Yeah. And then now, not having yeah. expectations where what, and right. then you're going to do this, right? I, I see right. my kids do this, you know? Right. Uh, well, I, we got in a fight. I said, I'm sorry. And she never said, sorry. <laughs> that's an expectation that, that right. was, wasn't right. Fair. And then layer in that hierarchy and privilege of positionality, yes. layer in that gender, class, ethnicity, right? All the things that come into every conversation Right. And then we wonder why this world is complex and we sometimes miss one another in our communication. I don't wonder. Right. And, and layer in whatever those people might have experienced as children or other trauma or, or, or other the prior person. Right. The, yeah. the previous dean, the pre, all of it. Right. I always say that people supervise their their the staff and all their past supervisors. Right. right? So uh, Carrie could have been wonderful. But then Craig wasn't so wonderful. So now I'm inheriting both Carrie and Craig's issues as I'm trying to lead an organization and they still have all of Carrie and Craig up in the mix, mm -hmm. which I wasn't even a part of, right. but now I'm right. still responsible for right. how I'm going to show up. But you got to clean up, right? <laughs> right. I got to hold right. it, right? Yeah. It's not mine to, right. I got to hold it because it's a part of the equation. Yeah. So we're bringing in here, um, apologizing for transgression and or harm, which may be connected and may not be. We're talking about expectations. We're talking about responsibility for your right. half of the equation completely right. and letting go of the other half. Um, Craig and Carrie, what do you want to add here before we, we move on? Anything that's coming up for you? Well, I, one of the things I loved about uh, how Jonathan described his experience is that we are uh, ripples of change in organizations and systems and relationships, even if we intend to or not. And so for us to own, like, that's what I loved about the, um, that we're owning our, our part in the mix is that, you know, in Jonathan's example, and mine here is starting in a new institution, just the fact that I'm here, I'm creating, there's newness and, and throwing people off their rhythm. And so how do we enter into these relationships holding as much of that as possible? And again, I go back to like, we're, we're there to do, do what we are called to do, doing with good intentions and good vision and trying to bring other people along, but they're just, we aren't gonna get everybody or we're gonna be more disruptive than we hope to. And um, so it's us about owning, I say kind of owning our, or taking the responsibility and the accountability for the, who we are and the work we're trying to do mm -hmm. and how that impacts pe the people around us. Mm -hmm. and. And that is that um, ultimate caring and loving space that, that I advocate for. I think all of us do. And I think we wish, we all see that we wish we had more people in the world that kind of operated with that caring space. Yeah. Well, and I, you know, something you mentioned earlier about uh, ego being a huge obstacle to apologies, yeah. right? Yeah. And did I do something wrong? I don't want to admit that I did something wrong. I don't want to admit to myself yeah. that I did something wrong. I don't want to see them. You know, I feel shame or guilt or, or I want to avoid blame. Right. And Jonathan also bringing in this notion of we have to allow that I'm going to mess up and right. I can learn from it and do better. And we have to allow for you're going to mess up. <laughs> And you can learn from it and do better. And I think one of the things I worry about in what's happening in our culture is there's a lot of 
noticing when we mess up or when other people mess up, but not creating space for that learning and growth and change and uh, learning to do better. Um, Craig, you are in the senior student affairs role. You actually got to uh, rather recently, I think, uh, lead ACPA as a yeah. vice president, president, past president, um, and you're deeply involved in social justice work, particularly um, from positions of privilege and thinking yeah. about it in that way. What have you learned about apologies that you wanna share with us? Oh, yeah, um, so I, I will say, so, definitely leading at that national level, both in terms of student affairs and, and social justice work. Um, you know, apologies are, are so crucial to us doing good work and building trusting, caring relationships as, as both Carrie and Jonathan have said. Um, that, and, and especially coming from a place of maleness and whiteness, um, that it's been important for me to own my part in the larger equation. So this is where the ego mm. part has been so important for me is that, um, you know, they talk about certainly, certainly there's been things, you know, I perpetuated oppression, um, but there's a lot of stuff that we've all inherited. Um, and so kind of getting out of this, like, it's not my fault. Um, and, getting out of that space where I need to feel like I need to apologize for stuff I didn't have anything to do with and then begin to focus on here's how I'm contributing and start that authentic reflection and taking accountability for it. And this is where I, I love what Carrie's model talks about. It's not just about me saying, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry that I'm white. And I, we hear that a lot. And we're doing a lot of work with white people. Um, and so I'm sorry, I'm white. You know, what do you want me to do about it? And we kind of, we help people build into taking, you know, own, acknowledging that there's been so much harm that's happening around us. And then, then allows us to help it get to the point where, hey, we might've contributed to it either through action, inaction, um, lack of awareness, not having the right skills. Um, and, and then we can then talk about this repair restorative stuff so how do i take this so when um when i say the wrong thing in a room um when i've been insensitive or offensive uh, for gender or uh, or orientation or uh, race um, or not even seeing how how class is showing up in the moment then i then i can say well wow i did thank you for bringing that to my attention i'm sorry that i participated i did something that caused hurt or harm and I need to, you know, I need to go understand what was going on for me so that I can make sure that I can show up and I can be a better partner, a better teammate and make sure that I don't do that again. And um, so in both of those contexts, both for me being working with white people and how do we how do we interrupt white supremacy and how do we then become agents of positive change? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, back to that bell hooks part, like it's going to take all of us to change the system. And so we need white, in this case, we need white people to do it. And the same thing, we need men to, to stand up for women's rights um, and women's health rights and to you know fight for abortion rights and pro-choice. And, and we gotta be a part of that. And so, uh, but we're gonna be messy um, and imperfect. And so when we make mistakes, how do we say, yep, I, I blew it, I'm gonna do better. And here's when I'm gonna go do it. And I'll, I'm gonna show up better next time. Mm -hmm. I, I, I want to leverage this notion about, um, you know, avoiding apologizing for something 
that you can't change, like being white, but taking responsibility for how you've contributed to white supremacy, uh, taking responsibility for how I've contributed to harm uh, to people of color or to trans folks, taking responsibility for your role in that, and then also acknowledging the broader context, um, right, uh, and, and seeing that. I wonder if you have an example in your time uh, as the formal leader of ACPA as a large thousands of people organization with, you know, 100 years of history um, where you maybe had to apologize on behalf of an organization yeah. Yeah. Um, and what kind of dynamics um, does that evoke? Um, I'm, I'm assuming you had some practice. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Well, uh yeah, I mean, again, thankful for my kids for helping me learn, be, be in good practice about apologizing for, and my wife. I mean, she's a saint for putting up with me all those years. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's hard. It's really hard to apologize for an organization, you know, a 6,000 member organization, of which you're in charge of leading, but have no direct responsibility for how all the things manifest. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there was... Um, Sounds a lot like life, actually. <laughs> no, no, right. It is. And I mean, it was such a it was such a wonderful experience. And and it was it was one of the harder things I've ever done. Um, we we were prepping for our annual convention and we the, dealing with logistics. And so we are the year we were in Nashville, um, just dealing with logistics and every place and every city has its own great things and hard things. And, and so we've got a group of talented, dedicated volunteers doing the best that they can trying to create this uh, amazing experience. And we had um, the Coalition on, on Disability um, come to us and say that, hey, we had not been paying attention. We had not been as thoughtful about accessibility and, and, and access and inclusion as uh, much as we were hoping or thought we were. And um, they felt like we weren't hearing their voice and weren't including them in decision-making, the, uh, the perspectives and, and, and their leaders in, in our decision-making. Um, and it was really one of those moments of sitting there and, and listening to this feedback um, from these people that I know well, and them saying, you did things that hurt me. Mm -hmm. And um, and it was really that, that moment of, just taking that moment and 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 so here's where the practice came in for me is is listening hearing what they were saying to me and not being in that ego space about like i didn't i didn't do it that was somebody else or whatever about really owning my role as a leader the symbolic and the the logistical leader of that organization and mm -hmm. saying i'm hearing that there's pain here and we had something to do with it and, and it isn't about whether, like, could we have done it? Should we have done it? How did we miss that? It, like, that's all for later. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's being in that space of hearing that, that somebody's been pained or a group of people have been pained. Mm -hmm. um, and then really being in that authentic space and saying, yeah, you're right, and I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, and we're going we're gonna to go back and see what we can do about it. And, you know, in this case, it was about, and we're going to work with you to make sure that you're a part of how we... Um, how we a solve the problem, but how do we make sure that this doesn't happen again? We want you to be good partners in that, and we invite people in. And so, it, it was a wonderful example. Um, you know, I felt like 
you know, in in the ways that uh, the thousand ways that we've seen apologies go from all of the examples we've had, like I felt like it was one of the better ones because we actually were able to make some of the changes that that we talked about, but we did it in a way that was caring and loving. And for me, that was the important thing Mm -hmm. um, is that we honor the people that, you know, our colleagues and friends that were right next to us um, and and that we're able to, to hear them and then, and make the change at the same time and not just do one or the other. Carrie, you're you're doing restorative justice work there at the University of Michigan, and we've talked about lots of ways of engaging the students. And then you also said, you know, and now I'm doing it in the Title IX realm, which is, I think, a place where people say, I'm all for restorative justice. I'm not sure about here. So I'm wondering what you're learning about apologies as you're moving into this realm and navigating the so personal um, and, and and so, so individual and so close to home there. How, what are you learning and navigating as, you, as you're exploring this? Yeah, thank you for that question. I think what I've learned, I've been surprised how, so I thought for myself, I would want an apology, like an acknowledgement would be really key. I really uh, love acknowledgement. So I think that's really important. And I had expected that more students coming in were going to be requesting acknowledgement and apology. And what I learned is that that wasn't important to most of the mm. students. It's actually rare in the cases that I've managed uh, using restorative practices for sexual and gender-based misconduct. It's rare that in the processes that I'm facilitating, they're requesting an apology. And I've been surprised by that. And I think what I'm learning is that that is not necessary for healing. Mm. And it's not necessary for accountability too either, because you can show up and be accountable. I'm going to do these things. I'm going to engage in this educational program. I'm going to engage in this reparative process. I'm going to do these steps to repair harm. And apology is great. It can be like a cherry on top if it's done well, which they're seldom not, which is perhaps why they're not being requested. Because what are the chances? Why we're having this conversation? It's going to be decent, let alone good, you know? Um, so it's, it's interesting to me about thinking about accountability and apology and where the overlap is. I think like a Venn diagram, right? Um, so that's, what's been surprising to me. What are they wanting, Carrie? What are they, what are they wanting? What are you finding? The reoccurrence. They want education to, so that it doesn't happen again. So the two things they're asking for is I want, I want them to know what they did was wrong and I want them to know how it impacted me. And I yep. want to make sure it never happens to another person again, which is why this like, how do we make sure it doesn't happen again? You know, part of the apology I was laying out earlier is the third piece is what are you doing differently? Or what are you not going to do now? What have you learned? That's another reason why the acknowledgement is so important. If you're apologizing, but you don't know what you did, you're just apologizing because you think the other person needs to hear that. then we have no assurance that it's not going to happen. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. And then if you think, if you, if you layer that in, in a university context, that's an individual experience. Now take that to a group experience where some racial thing has happened, some gender thing has happened, some anti-Semitic thing has happened for the 15th time. Someone, be it Craig as the president or the chancellor or the dean of students has apologized, but because other individuals keep committing that same harm, I will move, so there's a wonderful continuum when I'm doing, doing conflict work around apologies and how people show up in it. I'm either on that side of, am I feeling fragile and fearful or am I feeling frustrated and fatigued? Hmm. So your apology will hit me depending where I am on that continuum about that issue. 
So if it's around race, as a person of color, I might be way on the frustration <laughs> side. And Craig is apologizing, but it doesn't hit me where he probably wants it to hit me because I'm sick of hearing the apology because I have not seen, back to your point, Carrie, any real substantive change systemically around that thing. Yep. So I was a freshman, some stuff happened. I was a sophomore, some things happened. I was a junior, some things happened. By the time I'm a senior, forget you and the boat and the whatever, get, get, right. no, I'm done. And I have no patience for you at all. So now I is, come in. This is a place where then in your example, Craig has to take a hundred percent responsibility for his apology to you right. and let go of what you're going to do with it. Cause let you're it not go. accepting it, not because of Craig or his apology or what he did, but exactly all this other stuff, all the things, yeah. all the things, yeah. all the things, all the things, right. right? Yeah. So I don't think we really, and then I may be at multiple points on that continuum. Sometimes I am both fearful and frustrated at the same time. Right. I'm yeah. fearful I'm going to say the wrong thing. I'm fearful I'm going to get this wrong. And I am frustrated that I have to keep saying it. Yeah. So right. now I'm, and so if I'm not even aware of my own emotional contagion, yes. so I do a lot of work around EQ, you, you, you're bringing your emotion to whatever is happening and bouncing off how Craig is feeling, how Carrie is right. feeling, how those groups are feeling all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Right? And, and I love this and it, because I think it, so that what popped into my head is in Jonathan's example of, I have to let this go, but I have to hold this, like, this is a seed that I'm planting mm -hmm. and trust in the arc of the universe that maybe 10 years from now, Jonathan come back to me and say, thank you. Or, or I, you know, thank you for that apology back then. And I've seen these things and I'm open to being in relationship with you differently you know, mm -hmm. spitballing here, but, but that's the investment that we're making in that moment that has, but we have to, I have to let go of Jonathan. I just apologized to you. Why didn't you, why aren't you right. loving me again? Right. Right. And, and, and that, I think that's where we get in trouble. You know, again, maleness, whiteness, I do a lot of work on that. And that's where a lot of that stuff shows up and, it, and why we can't hear others. Right. And ego. I mean, and let's not, right. let's yeah. not let go of ego <laughs> and its ties no. to whiteness and yeah. maleness exactly. and power and privilege. And right. uh, Tema Okun talking about perfectionism as a key component of white supremacy culture. Yep. Uh, I think perfectionism gets in the way of apologies, right? If, if, I, yeah. if I'm trying to convince all y'all that I'm perfect, <laughs> right. I'm not apologizing because then I, I'm admitting uh, I'm not perfect. I'm not. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Um, I love Carrie. You really separated for me the apology and the acknowledgement from the accountability, and I think I I, mm. I thread them together because so often I see the apology, and I want the accountability to come with it. And and you're saying there can be accountability without the apology, and I think that I, I don't know that I see that very often. So I really appreciate you bringing that possibility in that the the change and the change in behavior and repair can happen. And the apology can in some ways kind of be skipped over. It might not be necessary. Um, it's like, let me show you instead of telling you. Apologies are a lot about, let me tell you. I don't yeah. have to tell you though, if I show you. Yeah. I can show you and my showing you will tell you, right? I can yeah. tell you through my actions. Uh, I, one of the great lessons I learned from um, slam poetry is show don't tell mm -hmm. 
right? Mm -hmm. Paint people the picture of uh, the heartbreak. Don't tell them you're heartbroken. Show them your heartbreak, right? And you're talking about this in another context of show people you're going to change. Maybe you can skip the tell them. But apology is saying, I, I recognize the harm. I'm going to do something different. And then the accountability is doing that different thing. I know so many of us have people who are in our lives who apologize for the same thing over and over and over again, and they right. keep doing the same thing. Um, that I think is apology without accountability, right? Right, right, yeah. right. Jonathan, you, I know that you're coaching one-on-one, -on -one really senior leaders and in higher yeah. ed in many industries. And I'm imagining as I coach leaders and I hear from leaders, they feel like everybody wants an apology from them for everything. And everybody's telling me what I'm doing wrong and, and, and such pressure. Uh, how do you help these leaders navigate the feeling of nothing I do is right. And people just want me to apologize for everything. And yeah. how do you help them sort through that? One of the frames that I use a great deal is from the Arbinger Institute. Um, it's called the Outward Mindset. So they wrote two seminal books. One is called Leadership and Self-Deception. The other is The Outward Mindset. And in The Outward Mindset, they have this beautiful exercise where it's a four-box exercise. The first thing in the far, the bottom corner is something that people do or say that really bothers you and really upsets you or really just gets you triggered. Mm -hmm. The next box to it is, and because they do that, here's what I see or feel. Mm -hmm. So Craig has done something. And because he did something, I see or I feel something. The next box up then is, and then what do I do because of what I saw and felt? And depending upon what I do, the other person will then see and feel what I did. And then the cycle just keeps continuing. Mm -hmm. So Carrie does something, I see or feel something about that. I then respond to her, maybe not as appropriately as I want to. Mm -hmm. She then sees and feels something about what I did and then she continues the cycle. And the right. only point in the cycle that is you have the most control over is on what you do what with what you saw. Mm -hmm. You only have control over what you do. Mm -hmm. So a part of my work with, and most of my work now is not even in higher education, it mostly is within the ad agency space and in the biotech space. And most of this is with the CEOs, the senior vice presidents, the global vice presidents of organizations and their next levels. I just had a coaching client that was unsuccessful. He was actually asked to leave his organization because by the time he got to the repair, back to what Carrie was talking about, too much water had passed and, and folks were just not willing to allow him to recover. Yep. Mm -hmm. And we spent most of, our most of our time on looking at what he was doing in response to what he was seeing and feeling. Mm -hmm. And he was the senior most leader of this particular organization. It was a site. And what, he, what I had to really help him understand was why, this is back to the EQ, why were you responding that way in the first place? So if I don't do my own inner work on why I'm responding that way, I don't ever stop doing that thing. So I just keep the cycle moving and then add back in who he happened just to be a white heterosexual man. Mm -hmm. So that then layered in how people were responding to what he was yeah. doing. Mm -hmm. uh, if I had done the exact same thing, it wouldn't have been felt the same way. Right. It wouldn't have been received the same way because our personhoods matter. Right. 
in the conversation, right? So this for me is if I can get folks there from, so most of my coaching within the EQ lens is on both self-awareness and then self-regulation in the moment, not after the fact, in the moment. Do I know with my somatic, so did I work around soma and somatic issues? Like what's going on even in my body when Craig says something that I deem racist? Mm-hmm. What's going on in my body when I say something and Lisa perceives it as sexist? What, what, and if I can't touch it somatically, right? So people think that first things happen in our heads, then our emotions, and then our body. Right? It's the direct opposite. Yeah. It happens first physiologically, right? So if you've read Dr. Perry and Oprah's book on what happened to you, mm-hmm. great book, by the way. Yes. Uh, but they're talking about the physiological way that we hold trauma. So it's, it's embedded in us. Then I have an emotional response to it. Then I have a thought to it. And then I speak. And all that happens in less than two seconds. So you know how careful I, and how good I have to be in my own leadership journey <laughs> to know what is going on for me emotionally, physiologically, in the moment, moderate that, and then respond. Well, and this is why the, the somatic work around meditation, around Absolutely. Uh, yoga, around these things Absolutely. Is, is not just it's not just physical, it can help us manage yeah. ourselves. Absolutely. Yep. When Absolutely. my shoulders get tight, that's a sign for me mm-hmm. that this thing is happening. And it may, it maybe isn't anything to do with what Jonathan just said. It's about that reminds me of all this other stuff. All the other ago. stuff, <laughs> all the other stuff. And I don't want to take that out, right? And so how do I remind myself, although this reminds me of that, this is it's not that. that. It's, it's not that, that. right? So it's let's not be that. present yeah. with what's here. Is how do I be present, right? And again, I always help my my senior leaders think about you're doing this without expectation of reciprocity. Right, right. You're just because then it's seeds of resentment. Back right. This back is how you want. It's how you want to be in relationship as a yes. leader with the folks that you are trying to lead. And so you will apologize, you will own, you will take accountability. And through that modeling, you will create a culture that this is how we do it. You will create psychological safety because you're doing the very thing that you say you are about. Even when Keith and Carrie are like, live it, because it is the 10th time it has happened. Even though for me in your inner, it's only the first time. Right, right, right. They've been been in the org for eight years and it's happened 10 times, right? Right. And it's about being the leader you want to be with the with the organization and as Craig has talked about in relationship that are, that are caring and loving, but it's also how you want to be in relationship with yourself. Absolutely. And your own integrity. Yeah, right. and how do I want to move through the world? Right? Absolutely. Yeah. This is amazing. Uh, too amazing. I want to keep going, but we, we are <laughs> running out of time. And uh, so I want to move us to our closing question. This podcast is called Student Affairs Now. And so I just want to invite each of you, just what are you thinking? What are you troubling? What are you pondering now? It might be related to apologies, might be just something that's just, as we are here gathered today, you came in here with. What is what is with you now? And then if you also want to share where folks can connect with you, where you'd like to direct them, that would be great. Carrie, what is, what is troubling you now? I was not prepared for that question, but <laughs> <laughs> something came to me. So thanks for calling on me first. What I'm mm-hmm. thinking about is I'm thinking about 
um, collective trauma and grief, right? Mm -hmm. That's yeah. really present yeah. for us right now and hitting our country really hard and the globe. And I, as we were doing this podcast, I was thinking about apology and I kept thinking about from like an individual perspective, you all brought in organizational perspective, but how do we apologize, you know, for the atrocities that have happened to our ancestors and that legacy continues. And so I'm thinking about so much of like harm and repair, it tends to be focused on one person or a leader doing it. But how do we all take responsibility for that? Like what Craig was talking about when, and also what Jonathan's talking about when we weren't the person who necessarily caused the harm, but we're living in the system where harm is continuing to happen, thinking about systemic mm -hmm. oppression. I think so much of our healing is like really focused on like go to therapy. It's very individualistic. Mm -hmm. And so it's troubling me now is thinking about where's the collective room for like collective apology, collective healing, collective harm repair, restorative justice offers some beautiful collective accountability collective accountability how do we take collective accountability for where we are right now that's mm. that's what i'm thinking about wonderful jonathan what are you pondering now um similar slightly different i am pondering um um healing and humility mm. what i i i i do still a lot of DEI work as embedded in leadership development work of organizations. But I have found myself moving further and further and further away from doing directed just DEI work. Mm -hmm. I, I, I have my capacity has grown to a point where because I see and feel so little humility and so little willingness to heal, I cannot hold that container the way that I held it once before. I can hold it in the context of, as a leader, how am I norming culture and expectations for how I want folks to engage? Where I am mostly troubled by is, I don't know that we share, back to Carrie's point, a collective sense of a valuing that diversity, equity, and inclusion is a common good. And if I don't feel that it is a common good, then I don't begin to shift my behavior and how I show up in the conversation because I'm not quite sure, sure. It's like almost like, well, what about me if I have to pay attention to these women? Then what about me? What about me if I got to think about these Jewish folk? What about, what about me? As opposed to if I'm in it with you, then of course, if I pay attention at that level around issues of ability, of course, it's going to affect everything else around us. So one of the things I've been telling my leaders is like, um, when you are not, uh, when you are in the majority, if you want to opt out of the conversation, you can opt out. And I don't have to opt in. But if I'm not, I don't have a choice about whether I opt in or not. Because every single day, something is going to happen where this apology piece may have to come into the conversation, right? So I am just wondering as we move forward, and I'm still hopeful, my glass is always half full, that we will find our way through what I consider to be a changing cultural tide that is asking us to engage very, very differently as a people. And this is the time for the first time I've seen that it's not going away, Yeah. right? I think I'm since the George you, Floyd, it's not going away. I'm hearing you're seeing this us versus them mentality and yearning for a more collective we right. sort of approach. Right. And Angela Davis just recently, I was talking to my colleague this morning. She said she's listened to Angela Davis and Angela Davis said, I, it's, a, it's really a falseness that we are uh, us and them 50-50. That is not our lived, that is not really true. Mm -hmm. It's not that, it's not that simplistic. Mm -hmm. So 
Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Follow that, Craig. Uh, yeah, right. Seriously. Oh, such wisdom and beautiful people and offerings. And so, yeah. Um, so Carrie and Jonathan, thank you both. Um, I, I'll offer um, just building on something you, each one has said, you know, one is we, we got to do our own work. I mean, we, this that's so essential to so many things, but definitely how do we be in authentic, loving, caring relationships with each other where we are trying to not do the individual harm, but also trying not to do the intergenerational harm that we all come with. Um, and that all starts with us, <laughs> somatic stuff, doing our readings, our learnings, picking at our own uh, ways that oppression shows up in us. Um, so essential. And the second thing is um, liberation. I mean, I think about that for me is that I, I hope for us as a, as a people to move for this, move toward this collective vision of, of liberation. Um, and there's so much pain happening daily. I mean, I, it, it, just coming off the shootings in Texas that came right off of Buffalo, that came right off of the attack on Roe v. Wade and um, abortion rights and, and a number of states on top of, you know, years of continued racial violence and, and murder on black men, black women, trans folks. And, um, and I, I'm kind of holding like, like, there's a lot of us out there doing great work and it hasn't changed anything yet. And so uh, how, how can we, we, we got to think of new strategies and, and, and new ways of being in partnership and relationships so, so that we can create the change that we're talking about. Um, and that's, and I linking back to what both Carrie and Jonathan have said about um, it's going to take all of us and we've got to do this. It has to be this collective accountability and collective responsibility so we can get to this collective healing. Um, mm. And um, it's so it's it's so hard to be a parent right now. It's so hard to be a student affairs professional. It's so hard to um, being a caring community member because it just it keeps coming. Right. And so I, I hope for us to to do new things and work together and, and find a way to to yeah. get this. You're using that word hope, and I I hear that what's that's what you're yearning for. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think it's really important to remind folks that hope is not a, a passive optimism. It is a reckoning with the reality, which Craig, you just spoke beautifully to, and believing that positive change is possible and that I have a role in contributing to that. Uh, it's not, I can't do it by myself, but it is a combination of that, that hope and hope contains agency um, yeah. that I can contribute to that. And that's so needed for what we're doing right now. Well, this has been terrific. Uh, thanks so much to each of you for your insight, your wisdom, your experience, your self-reflection. Um, as you were sharing your final thoughts, I was reminded, uh, particularly Craig talking about doing our own work. Um, someone I think we all know is uh, Reverend Jamie Washington, Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington saying, a lot of folks are using the language who haven't done the work, right? And how do we make sure we're doing the work uh, along the way? Uh, so thanks to each of you for helping um, me and our listeners continue to do our work. I really appreciate that. 
And thanks to our sponsors of today's episode as well, Leadership and Simplicity. Leadership partners with colleges and universities to create transformational leadership experiences, both virtual and in-person, for students and professionals with a focus on creating a more just, caring, and thriving world. Leadership offers engaging learning experiences on courageous dialogue, integrity, equity, resilience, and community building. Find out more at leadership.org. Connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And Simplicity is the global leader in student services technology platforms with state-of-the-art technology that empowers institutions to make data-driven decisions specific to their goals. A true partner in the, to the institution, Simplicity supports all aspects of student life, including but not limited to career services and development, student conduct and well-being, student success, and accessibility services. To learn more, visit simplicity.com or connect with them on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. As always, a huge shout out to Nat Ambrosi, the production assistant for the podcast, who does all the behind the scenes work to make us look and sound good. If you're listening today and not already receiving our weekly newsletter, please visit our website at studentaffairsnow.com and scroll to the bottom of the homepage to add your email to our MailChimp list. While you're there, check out the archives. I'm Keith Edwards. Thanks again to all who are listening and watching. Make it a great week. Thank you all.